Welcome to Hypnotic History, the podcast about 20th century life in the United States. I'm Ashley. I'm Wendy. And I'm Logan. And today we're talking about Bakelite. Have either of you heard of Bakelite before? I had no idea going into this. I have no clue. Um, and But I will tell you this. Um, I was thinking something along the lines of Easy Bake Oven. <laughs> I was thinking something along the lines of maybe a pottery. So I went ahead and Googled it, and it was not what I thought it was going to be. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> so definitely not. I could have guessed 72 things, and that's not anything I would have guessed. The only reason I know about Bakelite uh, is collecting vintage items. Mm-hmm. I like to go thrifting. I like to go antiquing. I will watch people on YouTube who do that and see what they find and share their collections of things. And that's how I learned about Bakelite. Uh, Bakelite, by the way, is a type of plastic. And it was used to make tons of different things. I, Despite all of the things that I've gotten from antique and thrift shops... I only own one thing that is Bakelite, unless I'm forgetting something, and it is a hand mirror. Oh, but yeah. But it looks pretty cool. I saw some pictures of the mirrors, and I will say this, thanks to you, after going on and looking at the images, I now feel like I'm going to have to start going to the antique stores, and I'm going to have to start collecting some pieces. Yes. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. <laughs> so I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Well, let's jump in and talk about why a plastic was so special. When Bakelite was invented in the early 1900s, it came at a time when a lot of people were trying to invent plastics. Uh, They were experimenting with plastic polymers because things that they typically use to make everyday items like ivory, tortoise shell, and horn obviously came from animals Mm -hmm. and they were in short supply. I don't think it was because anybody cared about the animal. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, it was more because they couldn't get those items as easily. So plastic polymers were a solution if anybody could make it work. In fact, ivory had become so scarce that in 1863, a New York billiard ball manufacturer offered a $10,000 prize to anyone who could create a good substitute for ivory. Oh, wow. The winners, by the way, were John Wesley Hyatt and his brother Isaiah, who created a plastic that we know today as celluloid. Hmm. And even though celluloid, whew, that's hard to say, (laughs) (laughs) celluloid, Uh, Even though it predates Bakelite, Bakelite has the distinction of being the first fully synthetic plastic, whereas celluloid and other plastics that came before it were still made of natural materials. So they were still relying upon natural sources, and that's what made Bakelite different. Coincidentally, 1863, when celluloid was created, is the birth year of Bakelite's inventor. Neat. His name is, and I hope I say this, he gave his name to the product, so I'm thinking that the product must be the same pronunciation as his name, and that's just all I'm going on. (laughs) His name was Leo Bakeland, but it's spelled B-A-E-K-E-L-A-N-D. 
That's a, some extra letters I don't think we need, but yeah. That's because he is not uh, from the United States, where we sense. have a lot of boring English yeah. names. <laughs> perfect sense now. He was born in Belgium in 1863. His father was a shoemaker, and his father started him in an apprenticeship when he was 13. But it was Leo's mother, a domestic servant, who supported his desire to attend school. So she insisted that he be able to attend a government high school, which sparked his interest in chemistry. So go Leo Bakelin's yeah, mom. Yeah, good for her. In 1880, he received a city scholarship to go on to university, and at that very same university, after he graduated, he became a professor. <laughs> then he married the daughter of his mentor, and together they moved to the United States using money from a traveling fellowship for academic study abroad. So Leo Bakeland was winning at life. Yeah, I kind of feel like an underachiever. I feel like I should be doing more stuff. He didn't have TV. That's what it is. TikTok. <laughs> he did, yeah, he didn't have all the social media. That's what it is. That's what I always say about people uh, from long ago that achieved great things. They didn't have TV. That's what it is, yeah. If Da Vinci lived today, he wouldn't have done any of that stuff. <laughs> You're probably right. He would have done less. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Leo Bakeland ended up loving life in the United States. He became a U.S. citizen in 1897, and he loved America so much that he named his son after George Washington. Wow. Uh, he also worked hard his entire life to eliminate his Belgium accent, which I think is kind of sad because I love foreign accents. I think they sound so too. great. I love all accents. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to get rid of their accent. It's funny because I say, oh, if you don't have an American accent then you shouldn't worry about that. Keep your accent because it's so pretty. I mm -hmm. love it. But I hate my own accent. <laughs> oh, yeah. I worked really hard to get rid of my southern accent. But I want everyone else to keep theirs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Leo Bakelin also had two estates, one in New York and one in Florida, where he had a yacht named Ion. Oh. Isn't that great for a chemist? That's wonderful. He also had a love of cars, which was interesting because this is the very early 1900s, so cars were not very predominant. I would imagine the issues such as drivable roads might come up mm -hmm. because a lot of people didn't have cars. Uh, issues such as getting gas mm -hmm. for your car is yeah. probably yeah, an issue. Have, does he have like a refinery on site? Yeah, I, I don't know. But somehow in 1907, he took his family on a European road trip. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. 1907. I, I want to know about the fueling situation. <laughs> yeah, me too. So I'm curious about huh. It was he like, honey, you can't pack a suitcase that big. We need room for 10 jerry cans. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee it. <laughs> I'm just going to push my glasses up my nose and say the jerry can didn't exist yet. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Well, what, what, when did he do the trip? Uh, 1907. Yeah, jerry cans are a World War II thing. Okay. okay. There hmm. you go. Was I at least using it correctly? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk more about Bakeland. Bakeland was initially interested not in plastics, but in photography and the chemistry behind that. And this actually plays an important role in what is to come later because he invented a few photographic things that funded his later experiments. He invented photographic plates that you could develop underwater, okay. as well as photographic paper that could be developed in artificial light. 
He sold the rights to the latter to Eastman Kodak and got $750,000 in the early 1900s. Oh, wow. Boy. And this enabled him to set up his own lab and work independently, obviously. Mm Mm-hmm. Even then, he wasn't working to create plastic. He first sought to create a product that could take the place of shellac. Shellac at that time was being used to insulate electric cables, but it was a natural substance. Uh, It actually is the, this is so gross, it is the secretion of a beetle. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I can't imagine a beetle secretes a whole lot. So you you yeah. need so many of them. How many beetles are you going to need for that? And you also it was also difficult to get because, or maybe just time consuming. Uh, what you did was you found trees where these beetles had been, and you scrape the hard stuff that they left okay. off of the tree. That's what I'm wondering. Are we harming the beetles while we do this? Uh, Not that I know. Okay. You just follow them around and wait for them to excrete. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bucket, just How walking around. How much does around. this job pay? Because it sounds like something I might be interested in. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I'm not sure it's as popular anymore okay. because, you know, other people other than Bakeland were also working to replace shellac at that time. <laughs> uh, he was actually successful. He created a shellac that he called Novalac. But for some reason, that product was not successful. Uh, He was successful in making it, but it was not successful in selling. By the way, if I seem distracted, it's because I have a cat crawling all over me. (laughs) That's okay. She was crawling all over me. (laughs) She will not be denied. (laughs) You are more than welcome to crawl all over me, so come on over. So when Novalak wasn't very successful, he moved uh, on to his next project, which was to create a wood coating that would strengthen the wood. His idea was that um, he could create some sort of a resin that would integrate itself into the wood and strengthen it that way. But these experiments actually led to the creation of Bakelite, the first synthetic plastic in 1907. I love successes through failures. I love all the times when it's like, we wanted to create X, but instead we got Y and Z. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love those moments. Well, he was pretty lucky because Bakelite was incredibly popular. It was cheap to mass produce, which was a biggie. It had a variety of practical uses, which we will look at. Uh, and it was kind of nice to look at. When you used it in electrical devices, it was an effective heat insulator and replaced less safe or less suitable materials like metal, porcelain, wood, and rubber. And the biggest selling point, perhaps, was that once it hardens, it holds its form even when you expose it to heat and solvents. Hmm. So once it's set, it is set. It was also considered more hygienic than materials like wood because plastics are non-porous It was able to be colored, but unlike some other products, you didn't have to worry about chipping paint because you weren't painting it. You were actually just adding pigment to the substance itself, Uh, and it could be boiled to sterilize it. And unlike metals, it didn't rust, so it had all these lovely selling points. Stylistically, people really liked it for a couple of reasons. It had clean lines and smooth surfaces, And they thought it looked modern. It was this technological novelty to them to own. There were a gazillion uses for Bakelite. Bakeland was on the cover of Time magazine in 1924 and was featured in an article that talked about the uses of Bakelite for over 40 industries. Uh, 
He himself took out over 400 patents for the manufacture and uses of Bakelite. It was marketed as the material of a thousand uses, and by the time Leo Bakelin died in 1944, it was used in over 15,000 products. Wow. wow. I am going to read a list of some products Bakelite was used to make. It is quite lengthy. Jewelry, radio casings, pot handles, spatulas, egg beaters, bowls, dishes, cups, television knobs and casings, alarm clocks, light switches, soap holders, toothbrushes, shavers, buttons, cufflinks, hair dryer, hairbrush, hair barrettes, handles for cutlery, spatulas, salt and pepper shakers, napkin rings, lamps, lipstick cases, bottle caps, thermoses, coffee grinders, lemon squeezers, irons, toasters, kettles, music boxes, fans, vacuums, telephones, candlesticks, poker chips, chess pieces, dominoes, ashtrays, cameras, and belt buckles. <laughs> so chances are good I've seen this, I just didn't realize it. Probably. Okay. Did they build a house out of it, though? Ooh, I, I, I don't feel know. Like this is the time period where they would do gags like that. Uh-huh. Like, this is so awesome. We built an entire house out of Bakelite. Yeah. And so even from this list, that doesn't even scrape the surface of everything Bakelite was used for. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned using it in weird ways. I do not know if it was ever used to make a house, but I would not be surprised. Hmm. However, I do have a list of slightly odd objects that Bakelite was used for. And I'm going to read you some. I want you to tell me if they were really uses for Bakelite or not. Crib toys. Yes. Mm, yes. Yes. And it sounds like a huge hazard for baby because mm-hmm. it was Bakelite beads oh. that were strung oh. together. Oh, yeah. Who yeah. thought this was great for a baby? Guitars. Uh, sure. Make mm. the body out of Bakelite. No. Yes. Oh. Uh, this guitar was made by the Rickenbacker Company. It was called the Bakelite. I don't know if it's Vibrola. I'm thinking Vibrola because like vibrate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bakelite Vibrola guitar. It was made between 1937 and 1941. Hmm. So, Logan, you have something to look for now. I bet they're incredibly rare because they couldn't have made too many of them. Yeah, I don't know. Um I would assume that they held up pretty well. But I don't know. They were made for four years. Yeah. Who knows? What about grenades? Yes, please. Uh, no. Grenade. Yes. Oh, my goodness. What about caskets? Yes. 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 <laughs> Swimming pools? Uh, no. Sectional, yes. Yes. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> Magazines for machine guns. Uh, yes. I'm going to say no. Yes. Oh, wow. Toilet seats. Yes. 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 Sewing machines. No. Yes. Yes. Okay. Steering wheels. Yes. 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 And they were all, uh, Bakelite was also used to make gear shifts in oh, cars wow. as well. Art sculptures. Yes. 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 Did you notice anything weird about that game? All of them are yes. All of them are yes. I had a few... Very good, Wendy, by the way. (laughs) You get a gold star. Thank you. (laughs) I had a few things that I had seen in my research written down as slightly odd things that plastic is used for, Bakelite in particular. Um, And then every time that I would make up false answers... 
I would look them up just to make sure they really were false answers. And everything I thought of turned out to be, oh, wait, they did do that. <laughs> that was Bakelite, too. So, listeners, please find something that was not made of Bakelite and put it on a postcard and send it in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would be very impressed if somebody can think of something that was not made of mm-hmm. Bakelite. Maybe a house. We'll have to look that yeah. up and see. So I really thought I had it with uh, caskets. And then I really thought I had it with swimming pools. I don't know. Well, it's swimming just... pools so large. Yeah, that would be hard to do. Well, I don't think it was used to make a large, like, Olympic-sized swimming pool or anything. Um, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was a smaller. More like a kiddie pool kind yeah, of? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Now, you may wonder, why don't we have Bakelite today? I do wonder that, yes. If it's such a great product, where did it go? Well, Bakelite had its heyday from the mid-20s to around 1950. It was especially popular during the 30s. So if you find something made of Bakelite, uh, it's probably from around the 30s or the 40s, I would say. And it didn't really get much use after 1950. This coincided with the end of World War II uh, and the post-war era. There are a few reasons, um, some connected to the war and some not, that made Bakelite less desirable for consumers. One had to do with its color. During the 1920s, a method was invented for adding colors to Bakelite. And while this was initially really popular and a big selling point, because you could get all these items, like you can get your radio in plastic, which is this new novel item. Isn't that cool? And it can be all these different colors. So it was initially this great selling point. Wow. But there were problems. <laughs> Bakelite is not clear naturally. It's actually more of an amber color. So adding pigments to create bright colors didn't work well. So mm-hmm. if you had something made of Bakelite, it's going to be kind of drab mm-hmm. looking. Uh, and as time wore on, people started to think of it as being kind of depressing and old fashioned mm-hmm. because all the colors were a little bit darker and kind of drab. Uh, another problem with the color is purples and blues didn't work well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not an art major. I don't work in chemistry either, so I don't know why, but blues and purples, no bueno. But browns, reds, greens, and blacks did do well for mm. some reason. So you might find more Bakelite stuff in these colors than certain others. Another issue with the color is... <laughs> That it is known to change to a dark yellow color over time, especially if you expose it to sunlight. So if you have Bakelite products that were white, they would turn yellow. Okay. And if you find yellow Bakelite today, it was probably bright white when it was new. Hmm. Blue and purple products, by the way, for the same reason, turned greenish. Hmm. I have to admit that even though I'd heard of Bakelite, when I see certain plastic items from that time period, I never really know what it's made of because Bakelite was made to make certain things. Celluloid was made to make certain things, used to make certain things. Uh, Lucite uh, came in and it was made, uh, or it was used, <laughs> keep mixing that up, it was used to make certain things as well. Um, and maybe the color is a giveaway. 
Yeah, that was my question. If I go to an antique store, how do I identify if something is Bakelite or not? And would that be the color? But then there's so many other things. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to identify? There probably is. I remember before uh, starting this, I looked up what's the difference between Bakelite and Lucite because those were two different plastic materials used to create everyday items. Mm -hmm. And the answer I found was that Lucite is typically clear. But I've seen Lucite in a variety of colors. (laughs) So that's getting even more confusing. So I would guess that if the product is, um, if it's plastic and it looks like it dates to like the early 20th century And it's sort of that, uh, especially in Art Deco style. There was a lot of Art Deco style Bakelite Mm -hmm. items. Um, Look at the color and see, is it sort of an amber brown? That's what my hand mirror is. Okay. Uh, It's sort of an amber brown um, because that was closer to its natural color. Mm -hmm. Um, Are they sort of muted tones because they weren't able to do brights? Mm -hmm. So if it's more of a muted tone... Uh, if you find browns, reds, greens, and blacks, those tended to do better. So that's probably more likely a Bakelite product. Okay. I'm not an expert, but those are my ideas. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe if there's some experts listening, they can always, you know, message in and let yeah, us know. Yeah, I would love to know. Yeah. So let us know. Thank you, Wendy. <laughs> uh, I always forget that there are people on the other end of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not just talking We're not to just you. down here for a good time. Dozens I am. Of <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, Bakelite had other issues other than color. So maybe this would be a way that you can figure out if it's Bakelite. Sometimes it had a fishy smell. Okay, I'm probably not going to do that test. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me, does this smell fishy? (laughs) The reason it sometimes had a fishy smell was that a chemical reaction occurred when it was heated. Oh. And so you might not notice it on certain items like jewelry or um, my hand mirror, for example, but it was used in a lot of ways in which it would get hot. It was a great um, insulator. So it would be used on circuitry inside of electrical appliances. Mm -hmm. So they probably smelled, like if you have a Bakelite radio, for example. Yeah. It probably smelled a little fishy. Um, It was also used for outlet, electrical outlets and plugs. Mm -hmm. So those probably had a little bit of a weird smell as well. Uh, one of the selling points, as I mentioned earlier, was that you could easily sterilize Bakelite by boiling it because it didn't uh, break down it due held to its heat. Shape, yeah, yeah, it held its shape. So if you had, it was utensils and cups and bowls and things like that. So if you boiled those, or I don't know if it's enough just to wash them in hot water even, I don't know. But if you did something at a hot temperature, then it would probably smell which would be gross right oh yeah that would make me not want to drink out of it my yeah, fork is fishy <laughs> yeah what a, a great delicious meal and it's just overpowered with fish smell uh, no don't want that exactly yeah so if the colors and the weird smell were not enough uh the popularity of plastics in general declined after world war ii not mm-hmm. just bakelite but all plastics uh, a theory is that the uncertainty of the world led people to crave to crave familiarity and the seeming stability of nostalgic products made of quote unquote genuine materials. 
So they, after the war, people wanted to hop back in time and use things that were not new technologies. They were more traditional, like woods and metals and rubbers. Mm. And I don't know about bone because that was kind of hard to get and horn and thing like that. But yeah. People also started to dislike plastics because rationing had led to plastic products of poor quality being sold during the war. So it's also an issue where plastics got a really bad reputation as being an inferior product when in reality plastics were okay uh, for what they were doing, but they just weren't being manufactured well because of rationing. I was wondering if the rationing part was going to play into it because Mm -hmm. I imagine... Even here in the United States, at the end of the war, you can't get everything. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're going to be limited. And it's possible that a lot of plastic was put into the war pro- production. Yeah. And I also wonder if rationing had anything to do with people wanting stuff made of natural materials after the war. Because now they can get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they want that thing that they couldn't get and they couldn't have. And they thought that was better. Well, the trick in the plastic industry, because as you all know, there's tons of plastic around today. I'm looking around the room and see a gazillion things (laughs) made of plastics. It didn't go anywhere. How did they keep their hold on the market? Uh, By pretending to be other materials. (laughs) So whereas uh, plastics like Bakelite were originally lauded for being plastics because it was like, wow, this new technology... Um, I want my, I know I keep using radios as an example, but radios were a huge, like the casings for them was a huge product for plastics. Um, I want my radio to look plastic. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to know that's plastic, which sounds kind of funny, but it was this new technology and it seemed really modern Mm -hmm. and cool. Um, Whereas after the war, Nobody wanted something that looked like it was made of a plastic. So plastic started, they were still used to make things, but they imitated other materials. Like now maybe I have a radio that has a plastic casing that is looked, uh, made to look like it has a wood finish. Yeah. Yeah. And we still do that today. Oh, yeah. Who are we fooling? (laughs) (laughs) And while plastics lived on, Bakelite wasn't uh, as popular. It never quite hit the same heyday that it had in the 30s. It was largely replaced by better plastics. Plastics that were lighter, that were stronger, and that were more flexible. I like to imagine, though, that's the brand. Like, better plastics was the the time. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was the brand. Better, it was replaced by better plastics. (laughs) Yeah. I could honestly see that happening based on some of the other stories we've talked about. Oh, yeah. That's all for us today. Thank you for listening. If you're keeping track on your officially licensed Hypnotic History bingo card, the terminal velocity of a penny is 65 miles per hour. Again, that is 65 miles per hour. Hypnotic History is researched by me, Ashley Skidmore, with music and technical wizardry by the eccentric Andrew Logan Skidmore. Follow us on Instagram by searching for hypnotic.history or by clicking the link in the episode description. Until next week, listeners, peace and love.